Well, Shabbat Shalom. It's good to be with you uh, virtually this morning. We're looking at the scriptures, and uh, we're in a series called The Doctor's Orders. And God is never changing, and his word is never changing. And just like in the first century, the words that Yeshua spoke brought life and healing and shalom to people. And his words can do the same for us today. And so our series is called The Doctor's Orders. We're looking at uh, the book of Luke. Uh, We're looking at the things Yeshua said in the days leading up to the Passover as we're in a season that's leading up to the Passover. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 21. And uh, it's talking about Yeshua in the temple. And he's there in the court where people are giving their offerings. And I'll open up the ark today because in today's Torah portion, Vayikra, it's the beginning of Leviticus where God is speaking to Moses about some of the offerings that are to be given. And in this portion in Luke that we're looking at today, uh, they are giving offerings, some of the offerings talked about in today's Torah portion. And so if you want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 21, we'll read verses 1 through 4. Then Yeshua looked up and saw the rich dropping their gifts into the treasury box. And he also saw a poor widow dropping in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of the rest. For all of these put in their gifts from their surplus. But out of her poverty, she put in all that she had to live on. So Yeshua is in the courts of the temple and he's watching them put their offerings into the treasury box. And I've got here one of the Sadaka boxes we have in the sanctuary. But in Second Temple Judaism, where Yeshua was at, in Herod's temple, uh, their Sadaka boxes looked a little bit differently. They were shaped like a shofar, and there were 13 of them. And it was uh, in those 13 Sadaka boxes, shaped like a shofar, that people would give their gifts. And it's here that Yeshua looks at the giving of the rich, and he looks at the giving of this poor widow. And as I look at this portion, the question that I have is, what does God want us to give? Last week, we looked at, okay, how do we deal with the government, especially when they ask things of us that we don't like? And now Yeshua deals with another tough topic. How do we deal with religious groups that want money from us? What does God really want from us? And what I love about this passage is that as Yeshua looks at what they're giving in the temple, he flips the script. He looks at what people think is going on, and he says it's totally differently. And in this day of financial struggle, in this day where we have to say, okay, God, what are we going to do? What do we do with our money? Yeshua has some insight from here that can bring healing and order and shalom to our lives. And in this passage, he flips the script on what people are thinking. And uh, he begins this, portion to give us some insight into this text in these, in these verses of, well, what does he want us to give? The verses before Yeshua says, he flips the script on the religious leaders and he says, and he says to his disciples, but he says it it's for all the people to hear. It says in Luke 20, Yeshua says, beware of the Torah scholars. They love wearing long robes. They love greeting each other in the marketplace. They love the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. They devour widows' houses, and they make long prayers a show. 
these people will receive greater com- condemnation. Yeshua flips the script because usually we think that people who are religious, people who are devout, they earn brownie points with God. And God is saying he, what's in actuality is that the people who are religious, the people who know more about the scriptures, people who think about spiritual things, the truth is actually God holds them to a higher standard. And here he's calling out some of the Torah scholars and the Pharisees. And I just think we've got to be careful about this. One of the things is he says, beware of the Torah scholars who do these things. One thing to point out is he's not talking about all of the Pharisees, but about the ones who are hypocrites, the one who were exploiting the Torah and the scriptures and religion to exploit people and to abuse the poor. And Yeshua is calling out the Pharisees that did this. If you look in the writings of the Talmud, Pharisees, it talks about the Pharisees call those hypocrites among them sores in their party, sores in their group. And Yeshua is calling out the sores in the Judaism of his day and calling out those who would exploit and abuse the poor. And unfortunately, that happens all too often. I was reading an article a few weeks ago about a televangelist who was saying that if you give an $80 gift to his ministry, he was going to give you a silver solution that was the cure to the coronavirus and to COVID-19. And unfortunately, it wasn't just restricted to the first century, but throughout history, throughout religions, there are people who exploit the scriptures, who exploit religion to abuse the poor and to get money for themselves. And Yeshua is calling that out in this portion. And so we got to be very careful and say, what does God actually want us to give? How do we cut through the things that people say to say, what does God actually want? And as we look at these verses, it's a little bit hard to do. Yeshua compares the gifts of the rich who put in tons of money compared to this one poor widow who just puts in two small coins. And he says that he's given more than them, but he doesn't tell us more than that. Usually in other portions, he'll say, you saw what this one person did, go and do likewise. He encourages other people to follow their example. But he doesn't do that here. He doesn't give us a lot of insight into what does God actually want us to give. And so to kind of give us more insight on this passage, I'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And what they have in common is in this portion, it mentions that this is a poor widow. And it says that twice. And in the first time it uses it, it says that she's in need. The word for poor in Greek has to do with that she's in need. But the second time he says a poor widow, he now says she's somebody with nothing. She's given the last two coins that she had, the last two pennies. She has nothing left. And he says she's now a widow who's left with nothing in destitute poverty. And in 2 Corinthians 8, Rabbi Paul describes a community of believers the same way. And if we turn there, he describes this community that's going under hardship. And to give some background on what he's telling them, he's writing to, in 2 Corinthians, to the believers in the city of Corinth, and he tells them at the beginning of this letter, I want to be with you in person, but things outside of my control have prevented me from doing that. Kind of like us today, like Rabbi Steve said, we want to be in person, but we're not. And so Rabbi Paul says, I want to be with you in person, but I can't be, so I'm going to write you this letter, and I want to instruct you on some of the things. And one of the things he does is he tells the believers in Corinth, about the believers in Macedonia and about how they're giving to support the Jewish people in need in the land of Israel. And he says it to them like, 
the, the Macedonians are giving beyond their ability, and it's an example for all of us to follow. And what's interesting is these two areas, Corinth and Macedonia, they're rivals. It's like Tallahassee and Gainesville. It's like FSU and, the, and UF. And he's telling the Seminoles, he's saying, it'd be great for you to follow the example of the Gators here. The Gators are doing great. You just got to do this, and you got to copy their example. And so that's the portion we're at right now when he's telling the believers in Corinth to follow the example of the Macedonians. And so in this passage, Rabbi Paul gives us some of the insight into how God wants us to live and what does he want of us in terms of giving. Not what we hear on TV, not what we want to think. What does God say about it? And one of the things he says in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 5, he says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. He says they gave themselves to the Lord first. What he says is, God doesn't need our money. He wants you. God doesn't need your money. He wants you. God flips the script, and he's saying, not only, not only is this about paying for the needs of the congregation or paying for the needs of the believers in Israel, but this is about God wanting your heart. I was reading something online. It said congregational giving is not about paying the bills it's, it's not God's way of paying the bills. It's God's way of raising children. And ultimately, what God is after is our hearts. Unfortunately, that's a harder thing because we can give God our money, but not give God our heart. But if we give God our heart, he's asking for everything, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our insecurities, what we have our identity in. And in this portion, Rabbi Paul is encouraging the believers here. He's saying what God wants most of all is you, to give your full self to God. And that's what Yeshua was calling them to do in, in Luke chapter 21. It's what Rabbi Paul is calling them to do in the first century. And what that's got, what God is calling of us today, to give our full selves to him, to hold nothing back. And I was listening to Tim, Tim Keller, and he was talking about the scripture where it says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he was saying, what I found is the things that are easiest for me to spend money on show to me what's most important to me and where I get my identity from. He was saying for him, it's easy to spend money on books, but he doesn't really spend money on clothes because for him, his identity comes from more about what he knows as opposed to how he looks. And so as we think about giving, what ultimately God wants us to do is to not look at the amount that we give, but to say, God, have I given myself to you, every part of me? And am I finding my identity and source of life and value in you the most? That's the call that God gives to the Macedonians here. God doesn't need their money, but he wants them. And in this world, that's God's challenge for us today. He wants all of us. And it says they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then Paul says to us in keeping with God's will. And he says about the Macedonians, he says they were going through extreme affliction and dealing with extreme poverty. Macedonia was a place that was a rich region compared to a lot of the Middle East, and yet Rabbi Paul was saying the believers there were going through a tough time. We don't know if they went through a famine, a war, what's happening, but we know they're going through a tough time. And he says out of the abundance of their joy, and out of their extreme poverty, they gave according to their ability 
and beyond their ability. And he's saying that this is a people who are struggling, even though they came from a prosperous country and a prosperous region, and yet they gave even beyond their ability. Like how the widow gave the two mites that she had. And for us, I see it as this challenge that God is saying to look at what we have the ability to give in generosity in the world and to look at our ability and then challenge ourselves, how do we give beyond that? How do we look at our budgets and say, okay, God, what is doable based on my expenses and based on my lifestyle? And then saying, how can I give beyond that? And, and Rabbi Paul is saying the Macedonians were going, going through a difficult time. And yet when they saw the needs of the Jewish believers who were struggling in Jerusalem, their hearts were broken and they begged Rabbi Paul for the opportunity to help the Jewish believers in the land of Israel. And they, were, and they blew him away, not because they just gave according to what their ability, but they gave beyond their ability. They gave in a way that was uncomfortable, in a way that made them re-look at their budgets and say, we're going to have to change how we're living in order to help and extend the love and kindness of God to these people who are struggling. And Rabbi Paul goes on to say that he challenges the believers in Corinth to follow the example of the Macedonians, and he says to them, if you sow stingily, you're going to reap stingily, but if you sow abundantly, you're going to reap abundantly. He says it's about investment, that giving to others in need and giving in generosity is about investing. And he says, if you trusted what God said when he says that he'll take care of your needs and that he will reward you beyond what you can imagine for generosity, you'll do it. If you know that there is a harvest coming, you'll sow the seeds even when it hurts. And I was reading a story about sowing and reaping in, in the Sahara Desert in Africa. And it was talking about a family, and he said during the harvest time, after they got in all the produce, they could afford to eat two meals a day. But as time wore on in the desert, eventually it went down to one meal a day, to about half a meal a day, till about the point where they weren't eating much food. And uh, at that time, one of the sons of this man comes up to me and said, he says, Dad, I found, some I found some grain in the room, in the barn. Why don't we just take that and use that? We can eat. We can each actually have a good meal. And the father says to the son, we can't because that's our seed for the next harvest. If we eat it today, we'll have one good meal. But if we save it for the future, it's going to mean we're going to be able to eat in the future. If we you eat it today, it's one meal. If we save it and invest it for the future, it's a lot of meals. And what Rabbi Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is challenging the believers is that when you invest to those in need, when you give generously, you are giving to God and God rewards you. And, it's, and so he says in this example in the sub-Saharan desert in, in Africa, the father sows in tears because he knows this could be a meal his family could eat for dinner. But he's going to reap the harvest with joy because he knows that what he sows today is going to mean his family can eat in the future. It's an investment for the future. And God says generosity and giving to those in need and to give to the kingdom of God is investment. And if we knew and we trusted it was coming, it's easier for us to be able to give freely. If we knew nine years ago what we know today, it'd be, it'd be easier for us to invest in Zoom and in Charmin and in toilet paper stock. 
if we knew today that toilet paper, toilet paper would be going off the shelves, and if we knew today that people would be using Zoom like crazy, it would have been a lot easier for us to invest in it nine years ago because we know even though we didn't see results then and there, that eventually that stock was going to go up in value and it was going to become worth it. And Rabbi Paul is saying it's the same thing here. When we give generously, it's investment for the future. It doesn't mean we're going to see results right now. It doesn't mean that my now is going to be immediately better. But it means that there is always a reward when we trust in God and extend the goodness of God to others. Yeshua flips the script and he says, it's not that God needs your money, it's that he wants your heart. And he flips the script and he says, it's not that we need to give out of our surplus and what we have left over. But what God wants is for us to give beyond our ability, to give to those in need as an investment that's going to have rewards for them and for us in the future. And yet in this portion where Rabbi Paul is talking about this, he ultimately tells them that not to give grudgingly or out of compulsion or because of psychological manipulation or because he pressured them, but to give freely, to give out of their heart. And what he tells them is that it's impossible to give, to change your lifestyle until you realize how much Yeshua has given for us. Until we realize that Yeshua became bankrupt and poor for us, it's hard to give and to what we've been holding on to. But when we realize that Yeshua gave up the riches of heaven and came to earth to live a life where he never had a place to rest his head, he had to borrow the place where he, where he slept, to live a life where he had to even borrow the donkey that he went into Jerusalem on uh, towards the end of his life, that he had to borrow the tomb that he stayed for three days when he died, that he gave up everything, that he endured torture for us. When we realize that Yeshua gave up everything for us, it frees us up to live a life of generosity because it changes us. We can treasure other things in life, but Yeshua is the only treasure who sacrificed everything for us. And when we embrace him and embrace the good news, the generosity of Yeshua transforms us to live a life of generosity, to live a life that trusts God, to live a life that says that we give even when it hurts because the love of God has been poured out on us and now we can pour it out to others. Yeshua is calling us to be his hands and his feet, to be a living expression of the goodness and generosity of God in this world. And during this time of difficulty, God is challenging us to look at our lives, to look at our budgets, and say, how can we go beyond what's comfortable because of what Yeshua did for us, to be the hands and the feet of Yeshua, and to give out of generosity, to support those in need in our community, and to bring the good news and the love of God across the world. It's the invitation of God in this Torah portion. It's the invitation of Yeshua to his disciples in, in Luke 21 to live a life of absurd, radical generosity because of what Yeshua has poured out on our behalf. It's the invitation of surrender that God gives us today on this Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.